our late night podcasting here, everybody. But it's early in the AM where you're listening to this. This is another episode of Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave and Zach Decider to join us this week after his long hiatus exploring all the far west land of this of this great country we live in. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Doing fantastic. Great to be back. Uh, you know, I've, I've been doing all right. I was going to record this actually outside on my deck because once it starts to get, get nice, it's nice to just be outside in fresh air. And then I remember the biggest virus to hit the United States since last year decided to come into Pennsylvania, so I figured I'd record inside. Very smart. Very smart. <laughs> I mean, you could have wore a mask. I could, but it doesn't do anything. And then, you know, the company I work for is like, you can't take any masks because we're holding on to inventory. So, yeah, it's it's really tough right now. Uh, well, hey, Zach, you were just exploring, you know, God's green earth for the last two weeks. How was that? Uh, it was actually pretty fantastic. Uh, a brief little recap. I uh, flew over to uh, Denver, uh, did Colorado for two days. Went to a bar called the Greedy Hamster. That was pretty fun. Uh, then I jetted on over to Arizona. Got to check out Phoenix, Scottsdale, Tempe, and the surrounding areas, Chandler and Glendale. Took in a Coyotes game. Really funny story to tell you guys on the pod about that. Um, and then went over to the armpit of California, Bakersfield. Uh, <laughs> um, the best part about Bakersfield was that I actually got a cold and developed a fever there. So, yeah, it was a little health scare, but uh, saw me come back the next day and well-rested, and I'm good to go. So, yeah. so you, you're saying you don't have coronavirus? Yeah, in fact, I didn't even tell my parents because I didn't, I didn't want to deal with the slight repercussions of that's what it being, because in this day and age, that's the boomer mentality, that if you're sick, it's corona. So, <laughs> I, uh, you know, just got home, Motrin, Tylenol's all good to go, came back, fell asleep for a couple of days, and... I've seen the light, and we're good. We're good. All right. Well, there you go. Well, I hope you see the recording light at least. So I <laughs> hope we're I hope we're good over there. Um, well, yeah. Welcome back. You know, we're, we got the full crew here over here now. And gentlemen, the Penguins won a little bit, but yeah, it kind of fell apart again. Jeff, what what was the recent games for the Pens? Um. The last week has been weird for the Penguins. Um, they went two and two in four games. Um, it looked, well, they got two ones. I wouldn't say it looked like that they turned things around because those ones weren't exactly the most convincing things. Uh, you had a seven three one against Ottawa. Um, you watch that game and you like, yeah, it's seven three and they scored a bunch of goals, but it didn't feel like a very good convincing 7-3 where they just flat dominated it it was more of that Ottawa just stinks um then they go to Buffalo they get a 4-2 win um again the Penguins just don't seem to be dominating games the way that we've seen them play earlier on the year and then they just had a disastrous weekend losing 5-2 to the Capitals and then 6-2 to Carolina um now currently only having a five-point lead from uh, from uh, the next team below them, so things are starting to get a little scarce right now. Um, that the, the, when I say the five points, that's um, Carolina with the last wild card spot. They're only three ahead of uh, of Columbus, so things are getting a little tight right now. 
Um, some people are getting nervous. I don't know if I'm quite there yet, um, but th- this week coming up is definitely a, a big week for the Penguins. They they really need to find themselves and um, collect a couple couple wins. Probably have a really good week um, because things are getting really tight right now for the Penguins. So I mean, we just saw that GMJR said earlier that there's no need to panic for this team. Uh, with the with the position that they're in, because uh, they have the longest streak right now of making the playoffs with uh, uh, what fourteen years, I believe. Uh, yeah, every year except uh, Crosby's first year. So. Crosby's first. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they've been consistently making the playoffs. There was one real big scare, the the Mike Johnston year. You don't want to talk about <laughs> that one, um, <laughs> but uh, there's. It just seems eerie that after all these trades were made that this is the time when they start to just slide downhill um, because we were talking about it before the show that, you know, that big blowout win against the Maple Leafs was just dynamite. But then after that, it's just been all gone. There's been almost no life to this team uh, aside from a little uh, comeback effort um, against the the Capitals, not this past Saturday, but the game before that in Washington, um, it just seems like there's nothing there. Yeah, it, it was funny. We were talking about it before on um, before we started recording that since that win 5-2 against the Leafs, which seems like forever ago, but it was it's only three weeks ago, um, after that game ended, you, if you listen to anything from the Toronto media or – or anything up in Canada, it was how bad the Leafs were. They they're trying to play too much, too much of an easy game, too much uh, skill, too much trying to find the perfect play. And since that game, pretty much, it seems like the Penguins have basically taken in the Leafs style of play. They're they're trying to be too skilled. They're trying to be too cute. Um, Look at the guy who's playing probably the best hockey out of anybody on that team right now. It's Patrick Hornquist, and he's your gritty guy that likes to play below below the hash marks. You know, really grind out games, and it 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 just looks too cute right now. And um, if you hear Mike Sullivan's press conferences, it's they're not playing as a cohesive group. They're playing too individual. Um, it, It it just seems like a very divided team right now. I think a lot of it for me that's kind of, uh, you know, kind of making me mad is, uh, yeah, they're definitely playing divided and they look really sloppy out there. But the, just the overall lack of accountability, it seems like. I mean, and that starts, you know, leadership up. And, you know, I heard Sid just say, oh, we, we didn't capitalize on uh, the power play opportunities that we've been given. And it's like, you know, yeah, that's definitely true. The power play has been atrocious, especially the five on three uh, for however long that's been. But, uh, you know, I just feel like some accountability needs to be taken. It's like, hey, maybe it wasn't the power play. Maybe we just aren't executing and we don't look ready to play. I just, uh, you know, and, and Sid especially, I mean, his play as of late, and I, I know this will probably get roasted in Pittsburgh media land, but he just hasn't looked good. Um, a lot of behind-the-back passes that are getting picked, some sloppy plays in general, and a little bit of a lack of back check from what I've seen, but just my thoughts. It looks like they're – a lot of these games, too, that they're losing, it just doesn't look like they are emotionally invested that you need to be in in March. I mean, March, especially when you're playing playing your divi- in, within your division as much as you are, 
you have to be emotionally invested at this time of year, game in and game out, and they just aren't. Especially in that that San Jose game that they wrapped up in uh, on the California trip, they looked like they were so ready to get off, get home. And when when you saw that game, you're like, okay, just get on the plane, let's get home, and let's take a breath, and we'll get back on it. And then to face a rival in the Washington Capitals and a team in the Carolina Hurricanes that is now right on your tail, and to, to get blown out by a com- combined score of eleven to four on the weekend, that's just unaccept- <laughs> unacceptable. That, like Zach said, the the leadership has to take accountability. Um, you know, you got guys. Your secondary scoring isn't coming around. It seems like they've taken a breath since everybody's gotten healthy. Um, it, it, it's just not good enough right now. The goaltending hasn't been good enough. They haven't been been getting quality goaltending enough. Um, and that's from both guys. I'm not saying it's Murray. I'm not saying it's Jari. It's both of them that need to step up as well, too. Oh, and the defense has to step up as, as well. I mean, everything needs to step up. But one thing that has been eye-opening across <laughs> all the year, or all this year, is their... Their, slack, their lack of play at the beginning of afternoon games. It seems like any game in the afternoon, 1 o'clock, 12.30, 3 o'clock, whatever, they get off to a slow start and allow a quick goal or two, and then they're always fighting back from that. This past weekend, they find themselves in deficits early. They were able to overcome that against the Hurricanes in the first period, but then let up five unanswered after that. So, I mean, you know, GMJR said there's no reason to panic, but would you guys say that there is a reason to panic or just go out and win the next game? Uh, I would, I'm panicked a little bit, to be honest with you. I, I really, uh, you know, this is considered the March of the Penguins. This is, uh, you know, notoriously, as Jeff said, you don't have time for errors when you're playing against your division so much. The Penguins next eight games are against the Metropolitan Division. Um, you know, you definitely need to uh, come away with some points during this time obvious but you have a uh, another 12 o'clock game on the horizon against the capitals uh you'll play the hurricanes in another day game uh and the flyers and that's just what i have off the top of my head and uh you know you, you've seen this season the lack of preparedness for afternoon games and uh it's certainly not going to get easier yeah they i mean they're just not good enough right now and you, the teams are playing in the next week um you got columbus they're right on your tail carolina they're right on your tail the islanders not playing well but they're on your tail and then you also have the Rangers coming up next week as well. You got a home and home with them that, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting almost to the point where I'm bought in on the Rangers where the, if they make the playoffs, uh, they might be a team that could, uh, that could hang around and maybe win around and upset a team as a wild card team. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I could see it. Uh, no, go for it, Jack. I, I was just going to say, I could see it. They're absolutely surging. Uh, you know, they, they lo- they've looked pretty decent in a limited time I've got to see them. But, uh, yeah, and, and with how, uh, you know, distraught this Penguins team looks now, Penguins have three more meetings with the Rangers this year, including that back-to-back that you alluded to. So I, I think uh, the Rangers are going to give them more problems than they probably have or are anticipating. Not really what we were expecting at this time of year, um, especially with how well the, the Penguins played in around December and January, um, especially. Um, so if you guys see a change, do you think it goes into this next game against the Devils? I mean, you got a last 
place team in the division. They were able to capitalize against the Senators and the Sabres. It's got to start against the Devils, right? You know? Yeah, I mean, it's got to start with the Devils. I mean, you can't sit and wait for something to happen. As a team right now, they have to go out and take every opportunity they can get, and I think it starts with maybe shuffling some lines up. Um, You know, Mike Sullivan likes his pairs where he kind of keeps two forwards together and tries to find uh, something that works. Um, why not put Patrick Hornquist up with Sid? I know the rumors are out there that Sid doesn't like it and um, he doesn't like playing with Hornquist. But right now, you got to put guys up there that are that are going to produce in your top six. And um, right now, Connor Sheary's not the answer. Dominic Simone wasn't the answer. So I mean, you got to find ways to a get pucks in the net because they're just not doing it lately. Um, but it. it you also have to be able to find ways to keep pucks out of your net, too. And, um, you know, maybe Yusuf Riccolo needs to get in the lineup over Jack Johnson. I don't know. Um, and that's, <laughs> not, that's not me just putting it on Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson's not the only reason why pucks are going in because Chris Letang has been just as bad. But but you, you got to change something up at, at some point, right? Do you guys think by chance that Mike Sullivan is is kind of stuck in his ways and just tries to – reinvent the wheel when he doesn't really have to case in point one of the things i've struggled with is uh why evan rodriguez came out of the lineup saturday against the caps uh he's arguably been very impactful uh since he's been here and on sunday easily looked like the best player i just i don't understand i didn't get that random scratch uh in place of sam lafferty and it's not like lafferty's been terrible it's just like these little moves just you know they can mess up chemistry consistency and like I said, I thought Rodriguez has done real well in his time again in here in Pittsburgh. Zach, did you you said you were at the game in Buffalo, right? Correct. Did did you happen to notice anything that maybe Rodriguez did wrong or that was like a like a, a mistake that like even sitting in the crowd, you're like, Oh man, there's no way Sully liked that one that maybe <laughs> no. maybe it was just like a, a just like one of those things where Sully's just like, you know, I I saw what you did. We didn't like it. Take a game out. Like, yeah, no. So to be honest with you, I didn't. I And that's honestly when I saw he was out Saturday, I was thinking like, you know, this has to be like an undisclosed injury or, 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 or something or, or, you know, just so, something that wasn't performance related. And cause that even crept into my mind. I was like, okay, like, you know, you've seen Sullivan do this with Ricola for the last month and a half now. And it's like, you know, he's clearly in the doghouse or something. Um, and, and so that crept into my mind about Rodriguez, but nothing glaringly obvious that I was like, Oh no, that's not good. Um, I, I just thought it was a pure, like just weird decision almost. I'm trying to, it was just, I didn't understand it. It could just be Mike Sullivan just pounding his head against the wall sometimes when, like you said, like almost like reinventing the wheel where if something doesn't please him, he's going to find a way to make you punish for it. Um, whether or not he punishes the whole team by that, I, that's not his intention. But it seems like sometimes that can just backfire based off the way that he coaches. Yeah, one hundred percent. But like you said, though, Zach, like he's kind of stuck in his own ways. That um, you know, he sits Evan Rodriguez against the Capitals, but he puts Matt Murray out for the for the third time against him this year. And Tristan Jari hasn't seen him once yet. When, yeah, when he's like, when he when he's rotated goalies for what two oh, we're going on what two months now, 
Yeah, about Probably two months longer. of early rotation. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the thing is, I really want to see Tristan Yari against the Caps because, you know, for as much as they put pressure on the puck and get pucks down deep, like, you know, I want a goalie that can handle the puck. And, and strictly right now, I, I don't have a, a number one goalie going into the playoffs right now if the Penguins make it. And that has to be said at this moment. Um, you know, there used to be like, oh, well, Murray's your 1A or, and Yari's your 1B, but I, I don't see it right now. I think both are playing for time. And the fact that the Penguins have played the Capitals three times and we have not seen Tristan Jari is a, a little bit alarming for me. Uh, they have one more meeting against them, but I would definitely toss him in net or at least strongly consider it. All right, so do we have anything else? Just uh, keep the puck out of your own net. I think that's the, that's the first first thing for the Penguins at this point. They're they're just giving up way too many goals at this point um, on the on this losing streak right now. That you know, other than two teams that are not doing very very well this year in Ottawa and Buffalo, giving up three and two to them, um, they're giving up an awful lot of goals right now. That um, that that's the that's the first issue, and then. Yeah, maybe maybe you need to win a game two one that's that's close and tight and you get a bounce that goes your way or something. But right now they they just they they need to get string some wins together and um and in a good way too. Don't squeak out and um you know kind of luck your way into winning a game. You, you got to win a game that you feel good about yourself after. Well, great because they're playing the Devils tomorrow, so two one win could actually happen. <laughs> All right, so let us know what you think on the Facebooks or Twitters um, about um, the Penguins' woes here. I mean, are they going to be able to get out of this, or is this going to be that rare time when they fall apart and, you know, might not make the playoffs? Um, So, gentlemen, did any of you happen to see uh, Jim Little's name pop back up into the news? Yes, I did. Yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) Because if there's anything, yeah, because if there's anything to kind of scratch your head or even chuckle about, it's just the way that the senators roll in their front office. Um, So supposedly, Ottawa had fired Jim Little less than two months into his tenure. Um, The former executive said that he was fired for using strong language during a heated phone argument with team owner Eugene Melnick on February 14th, you know, the day of love where you yell at everyone. Yelly. <laughs> so <laughs> following the dispute, this is based off of my favorite app, the score um, following the dispute, the senators conducted an investigation into little's behavior during which they found uh, his wife, Lara Smith had published online accounts of his, of his abuse during their marriage. Um, Quoted, as the weeks and months unfolded, I was the victim of extreme control, psychological, and at times physical abuse. Going to yoga class in the grocery store were cause for outbursts of rage. And this is what she had uh, reportedly wrote in August of 2019. So the club confirmed knowledge of the blog post and that it was unearthed after Little's disagreement with Melnick. So another quote here, um, based off the team spokesperson. Uh, Dan Gagne, the pattern of behavior by Mr. Little within the organization, which violated the team's code of conduct and the policies of the NHL, coupled with the detailed allegations contained with an online posting discovered subsequently, was extremely concerning given his conduct with the company's head office. Um, 
Can we wrap our heads around this a little bit? Uh, I, I try not to because it's the Ottawa Senators. Um, it, it just seems like a, another days of our sentence kind of thing. Obviously, uh, not probably the best way to handle a situation, but, uh, you know, in Ottawa, that's nothing new considering the whole Carlson thing, the Uber situation, uh, Mike Hoffman being part of that. Um, it just seems like what anything that can and will go wrong does happen in Ottawa. So. Yeah, it, it, <clears throat> literally since Game 7 of the 2017 Eastern Conference <clears throat> Final, everything that can go wrong can go wrong for the Senators. Um, this is just added onto the list. And what's, what's kind of crazy about this whole thing, when, um, when Jim Little got fired, like, Gary Bettman had to, like, look into it because he was like, from what we're, what we've looked into, like this wasn't like a huge disagreement or anything like crazy. It was like odd for him to, to have to answer questions about these. So, um, yeah, with all the allegations out there and everything, um, it's definitely an interesting situation, but um, not not something the senators nor the NHL want uh, out there in the public right now. Now, sure. does does this seem like you were saying where if you disagree with the owner, Eugene Melnick, um, he's going to find a way to get you out of there. And that's in, that's including an investigation uh, within, within the own organization as to find reasons to get you out of there. Say that again. So Eugene Melnick being the owner and getting into this, you know, supposed heated argument with Jim Little, um, is this basically Melnick? Um, I wouldn't really be saying abuse of power, uh, but finding reasons to use an investigation to uh, uh, to fire Jim Little, and this is kind of just what they happen to find. Uh, you kind of understanding what I'm asking. Yeah, yeah they kind of, that Eugene Melnick's just trying to find a way to get rid of a guy. Yes. And I mean, my thing about Eugene Melnick is uh, this is not the first time he's launched an investigation before. So, I mean, I feel like that's just his uh, go-to. Um, you know, is it, it's, it's, I feel like he just always goes the extra mile to try to investigate things probably further than he should. But I mean, I feel like we should launch an investigation into your vacation and see why you couldn't record with us while you were out west. <laughs> I got uh, tons of stories. I would, I would love to tell my uh, coyote story if I may. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I don't think we're gonna get anywhere with with Eugene. Over yeah, here, at the so. end of the day, with Eugene Milnick, he's just a whack job, right? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, for God's sakes, he put an investigation on Matt Cook slicing Eric Carlson's Achilles. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what. Like, I like, to like that. That's like that's like case number one on him. Like. Like, buddy, like, things just happened in the game of hockey, and he wasn't wearing a Kevlar sock. You know, it's going to happen. I so. mean, Eugene Melnick's probably going to launch an investigation as to how we're bad-mouthing him on this podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I expect our summons to be soon. Yeah, and then we'll bring Chris Kunitz into uh, the investigation. He'll end his, his life again, too. <laughs> so. Chris Kunitz will break him for the second time in the years. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, let's just swing it on over to Zach and... You were at a Coyotes game, huh? Well, so so the story is getting into the Coyotes game. That uh, is the best inter- most entertaining thing. So uh, I'm going down, long story short, working the trampoline park industry. Bought two parks in Arizona. 
meeting with one of our guys to like kind of show me around the area and get me familiar with their parks. Uh, and he's a big sports guy. And we both were like, oh, let's absolutely hit a Coyotes game. They're actually home against Don Don Don, the Buffalo Sabres. Um, so we were like, oh, we'll absolutely hit that game. He checks the app on his phone and him being the uh, quote unquote local. He said it was at seven o'clock. I'm like, sounds good. Uh, you know, we, we drive the 40 minutes into Glendale. Uh, we get up to the ticketing window and, you know, we look at the seating chart and we see like 228 where the coyotes shoot twice, you know, the one, the section below that. So we're just rattling off some sections and we're like, oh yeah, do you have anything for this? Like thinking it's the Arizona coyotes versus the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, the attendant goes, no, uh, you know, we, we either have the $9 standing room ticket. Uh, we have two rows off the ice in 108, or I can put you on the glass for 225 a piece. And like, you know, we're sitting there stunned. We are like, it is the Arizona Coyotes. Like, what is going on right now? Um, naturally, uh, we kind of ponder our decision, what we want to do. Um, being that uh, it's a fun trip, we decided to take the middle of the road option and sit two rows off the ice. Um, but yeah, so we start walking in towards the arena uh, and start hearing the game being broadcast over the radio. Turns out the game started at six and we made it for the second period. So, <laughs> so um, you know, naturally, I was already hesitant about dropping 165 bones to see the Arizona Coyotes play the Buffalo Sabres. And then in the second period already. And yeah, but that was my amazing Coyotes experience. I did get to sit up close and see Phil the Thrill. Uh, I just don't know if I wanted to pay as much as I did to do it. But great arena there. Gila River is pretty awesome, though. So I mean, for the two thirds of the game that you saw, I mean, was it what was some of the the quirks that you you spotted there, and compared to other stadiums? So, so I'm going to be honest with you. This arena had you know a little bit of everything, um, and, and it's always funny because I think PPG is such a poorly constructed arena, um, and I mean this with every place I've gone, Tampa. Uh, Let's see, Gila River, Buffalo, Columbus. Um, you know, it, it, every every stadium that I go to, you can at least walk around uh, through the aisles. You're never congested. It doesn't take 20 minutes to get somewhere. Like literally, if you if you need to like walk around the upper rotunda in uh, PPG, you can almost bank on half the intermission going by before you even get anywhere. Um, that said, another thing I really liked about Arizona was they have a really nice arena district. There's a ton of bars and restaurants outside. Um, you know, naturally, because it is Arizona and it's kind of like a touristy place, especially this time of year with spring training. But it, it's just funny when you come into Pittsburgh and your options are either Buford's, Milano's or TGI Friday's or like the Super Bowl. And it's no disrespect to any of those places. But, you know, as if you're not a local, you would have a hard time finding half of those places. But, yeah. So to go off like your different like little features and everything of different arenas you've gone to. The greatest feature I've ever seen in a in an NHL arena was um, <clears throat> me and my buddies uh, that I play men's league with. We took a trip to Columbus two two or three years ago the the seventeenth season. Yeah, the year they won the second cup. Uh, the Penguins were down there. We all got like group tickets and we all went down for like a, a guys' weekend. And yeah. in the upper concourse, um, they had like the like the concession stands, but the way it was set up was it was like a little store. It was almost like having a Sunoco in, a, in an arena. And they had like the, the coolers where like Sunoco keeps like, like uh, pop, iced tea, 
water and, and everything. And it was like these giant coolers, but instead of pop iced tea and water, it was all beer. And it was like, it like obviously we were already tuned up a little bit and we're like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. And we're like grabbing these things like they're, you're getting like your two for five deal and turns out you're spending like 15. But like yeah. that, that, that was just awesome to see like, <laughs> You didn't have to like have it like tucked back behind the register. They're just like, yeah, take whatever you want, go ahead. That is pretty awesome. I mean, I I do love Columbus. Um, I don't know. Have you gotten to check out their arena district by chance? Yeah, yeah, it was real cool. We we did like a free game spot right before, <clears throat> um, that was right next to the arena, and then after Boston. we just yeah we just we just found bars. I can't remember names of bars. We we went to so many. It's honestly a good time. I actually look forward to uh, Columbus. I, I was actually trying to go on Thursday, but no one wants to go with me. So if anyone of you guys want to go, I'd be down. I would, but I got to work Friday. <laughs> I'll, I'll see what I can do, Zach. Cool. We'll be in touch. All right. We'll do. Your people will get a hold of my people. 100%. <laughs> we just can't talk about it on the on the podcast that we're already talking on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This has to be a back-end deal. All right. So um, what else we got for hockey? Uh, Mika Zabinja had five goals in one game. Yeah, that that definitely happened. Yeah, <laughs> that was what's, even, what's even funnier though is that so he had four with like a minute left or whatever. The Rangers pull the goaltender, and they're trying to do like the cool thing and like get him his fifth. Well, in that process, the Caps end up forcing a turnover and they end up scoring with like thirty seconds left or whatever to send it into overtime. And when you're thinking, like, up oh, hockey gods are just against you at that point, yeah, because Abinajad ends up scoring the game-winning goal to get his fifth of the night. Like, exactly. what, what a roller coaster for, like, that last that last half half minute or whatever. And most of those goals were, kind of, were pretty filthy as well. I mean, there was a few there that you just clean up, but most of them were hard-pressed goals. Oh yeah, for sure. There's at least, you know, I, I would think of the of the five that he scored, three of them were like, okay, like that's, you know, above and beyond. Um, and, and speaking of which, it prompted me to look up the uh, the p- players with five goal games, uh, just because obviously it is such a rare feat. The last one before Zabinajad was Patrick Laine on November twenty fourth of twenty eighteen. Then you have to go a ways back for the next one, Johan Franzen with the wings back in. 2011 so uh just thought that was a pretty cool stat 2011 is way far back that's just that make that makes me feel so old Uh, that was too far back so um guys do we have anything else for hockey no but i think we're good well i think you got anything else i think we're good Uh, all right all right so a bit of a shorter show but let's get into a little bit of baseball um not really much going on there but one thing that at least i saw on on the twitter sphere sunday that i think is worth mentioning tyler glasnow um just basically ripping on the the pirates old pitching staff um the coaching staff at least and boys i mean he he didn't really uh take back well i wouldn't really say based off the the tweets posted by jason mackey it seemed that Tyler just wasn't a fan of what the Pirates perceived themselves to be within the organization. Um, as I pull up these 
tweets right now because I'm totally unprepared for all of this. Um, <laughs> what what did you guys think of all of this? I mean, so I just want to recap this from what I know from what I've heard today. Essentially, it sounds like um, a Pittsburgh media member and Tyler Glass now kind of went at it about the Pirates' philosophy and said Pittsburgh media member said that Glass now lacked effort, was it? And when in reality, it was more or less his analytics and how far behind the Pirates are in the times because Glass now, they told him to pitch to contact, whereas it seems like Tampa just kind of lets him do whatever he wants, and that's why he's had his success when healthy. Is that the uh, pretty much the what we're trying to get to? Pretty yeah, that's I mean. what I kind of took it, took it from, is that it's just uh, said Pittsburgh media member. Are we going to name him or no? I didn't want to be the one to name him because I'm a classy individual. But, I mean, if you want to. I mean, it's out there in public. Dave, what do you think? Should we name this guy? Yeah, do it. Okay. So, yeah. So, it's Tyler Glass now and Colin Dunlap from 93.7 The Fan. Uh, they went back and forth. Um, Colin Dunlap has been known to favor the Pirates and a lot of things that he uh, he says opinion-wise. And, um, and – Tyler Glassnell pretty much said it wasn't a work ethic thing. It wasn't an effort thing. It was this is how they this is how they want me to they wanted me to pitch. It was to pitch the contact. It wasn't successful for me. And when I got traded to Tampa Bay, they cha- changed the whole outlook. They let me pitch to my strengths, and that's why I was successful. End of story. And I and I don't blame Tyler Glassnell for coming back at Colin Dunlap for questioning his work ethic because, you know, when you drop the the term sources, um, you know, yeah, the Pirates are going to say that because he he wasn't successful here, right? They're not going to say, well, yeah, we, we, we did, we mishandled him. So that's, that's why it was not successful. Like the Pirates just aren't going to come out and say that. Yeah. I mean, so part of this quote was Tyler saying, there wasn't any advanced stuff. There was nothing. I could maybe go check my spin on a computer, but it was very much like, don't worry about that. Just go and compete. Um, so, and that was the end of the quote. So that, that seems very pirate-esque uh, to basically say, don't worry about this. Go, just go try your hardest and we'll, and we'll be fine out there. Um, but it looks, it seems to be like, according to Jason Mackey, that he... That Tyler wasn't trying to bury the Pirates, but because of just the word choice that he used, it pretty much did, in my opinion. Well, yeah, it sounds like it that that there was no no advanced analytics or anything else he could look at. Um, it kind of peels back the curtain that it seems like Bob Nottig's not again not investing into his franchise to be a competitive team on or off the field. I mean, um, it sounds like it's similar to like what the Penguins used to be before um, they started getting Mario to invest a lot more into it when they didn't have a computer in 2003 or whatever. And in the, in the system, they ran through faxes and, and um, not using like email and stuff. So um, I, I, yeah, it, it's concerning, and for the Pirates, I'd be very concerned because now you're thinking, what do other former players think of of um, of how the franchise was ran? Like, what I wonder what Garrett Cole thinks about his time in Pittsburgh and, and the resources he had around him. Well, I think, and correct me, go ahead. No, I was about to say. So it just makes me wonder 
how, you know, maybe AJ Burnett and Liriana being the old savvy guys that they were, were really the boost that the Pirates needed at the time. Well, then after they departure and then you got guys like Tyler Glass now and Tyon coming through the system and, you know, kind of looking for that advanced edge um, where it's all about analytics and everything else about like, you know, knowing your opponent better than like, you know, yourself. Um, it almost seems that they were kind of just trying to use what they got in the mid 2000s or 2010s with the older guys, with the veterans like Burnett and Liriano, that they just couldn't adjust with the times or did not adjust with the times. Yeah, and I agree with that. My, what I was going to say is I'm pretty sure, and I don't have the exact quotes in front of me, that both Garrett Cole and Charlie Morton have come out already saying that the Pirates, you know, were a little bit different in terms of how they are, they went about their pitching approach, whereas, you know, the Astros or Rays or whoever, you know, are, are more uh, anal- analytically sound and, you know, how they actually use those metrics. Um, and I think that's ma- uh, mainly a testament to, like, Ray Searage and just kind of, like, how his old-school ways and ideas are, are different from, uh, you know, the game to date and that it's ever-evolving. Jeff, you got anything else? No, I think I'm good. I think I said my piece that, um, like I said, I think this hurts the Pirates a lot more than it does Tyler Glass now because you've got a lot of players that um, that have left here that have said they wanted to stay and they wanted to be successful here. And, um, and I, I, I'm kind of curious – what their thoughts and guys I'm thinking of are guys like Andrew McCutcheon, Garrett Cole, um, you know, guys that were, that were kind of like the, the leader of the core from like 2013 to uh, 20, 2015, you know, those three playoff years. And then for that 98 win <laughs> team to be disbanded, I wonder what those guys think if they think the same way that Tyler Glass now did. Good point. That was likely. I mean, you kind of shut your mouth whenever you're winning, but when you're losing, if you're within the organization, you do keep your mouth shut. You go out, you kind of say what you want. Kind of like how, well, not the same situation, just kind of like how Mike Fires opened his mouth, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we all see what happened with that. Um, let's see. Not, I mean, not really too much else going on, um, unless you are invested in a little bit of fantasy baseball over there, Zach. Justin Verlander might be out for an extended period of time. Um, it looks like that he might have like a, a mid-lat strain. Um, but, you know, with what being the reigning Cy Young winner um, and, you know, with everything else that's really being aimed at the Astros, you, you'd figure the, the, the Nationals would have the, the target on their back being just being the champion. Everyone's got their sights yeah. on the Astros. Do you think this affects Houston at all early on this season I mean I guess my thoughts are they're already behind the eight ball in terms of like you know how they're being perceived and how everyone's looking at them and kind of like the team to beat in terms of like you know either literally beaming the hell out of them with a baseball or just on the scoreboard um, on top of this so yeah I think this sets them back a little bit I don't know timetables or timelines for his injury but obviously what you said doesn't sound good so yeah, it, it definitely definitely hurts him a little bit. Um, so now, 
who would their ro- rotation be? You, you lose Verlander, but you still got Granky. Um, who's the <laughs> other part of that that rotation for them? Oh boy, let's see. Well, I'm pulling it up right now. Don't don't you worry. Because uh, they, they pretty much got Granky for the insurance that Garrett Cole was leaving, right? Essentially, yeah. And they yeah. Are, they are getting back Lance McCullers. Um, okay. And uh, man, I've heard this name be said before. It was the the dude who started either Game Four, or Game Five for the Astros. Um, Jose, um, it's it's wrong. Urquidy. Urquidy. Yeah. I could. You are get, I forget, I forget. It makes me mad. But then they got Josh James as well at the end. Um, so, I mean, you still get Lance McCullers coming back, but that's coming back from Tommy John surgery. He didn't pitch at all in 2019. So, really, your your big boy right now is Zach Greinke. Um, so, it's not saying it's dire times in Houston, believe me. Uh, they're going through a lot more than that. But, uh, um do you think that this could hurt them potentially early on in the year, depending on what this injury is like? Yeah, I I think so, but it but that AL West isn't that good, though, right? I mean, the end of the, the day, the AL West is I wouldn't say the best talent, but they're on the rise. And you got the Angels loading up. They spent the second or third most money in free agency um, this past off season. You now getting guys like Rendon. Um, and um trying to think of the the one of the bigger pitchers that they got. Um then you got Corey Kluber going to the Rangers. You still have the the Oakland Athletics who are still basically the same team uh constructed from last year. So what they had almost a hundred wins last year as well. So I I wouldn't say that the AL West is bad. I just think it's <laughs> it's on the rise of being more competitive where the Astros won't be able to just skate through. I don't think so. I don't think they're going to walk away the division by June, but um, I still would have that the Astros winning that division by at least eight games that I don't, I don't think it, that, that the, it'll have to be a nail biter getting down to the wire to win the division. I mean, I th- not to kind of get off course with it, but I do think there's going to be a new division winner in the AL West. But I think I'll save that for our prediction show. Oh. Oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. Um, speaking of cheating, I don't mean to segue out of this, but um, did you see Barry Bonds' quotes today, by any chance? About how he's kind of been barred from the game or whatever? Yeah, like, then he's... Backwards. It, it was that he's been kind of blackballed out of baseball and exiled and how much it's, re- it's really hurt him that... That Major League Baseball has essentially treated him this way. Here's the thing: yeah, isn't I mean, he in? Isn't he in spring training with a different team every year, trying to coach? He's with the Giants right now. Yeah, oh, and I swear he was with the Marlins before. Yeah, he was with the Marlins the year that I mean, I don't mean to bring this up, but the year Jose Fernandez died, I think he was their hitting coach. Oh, okay. So I mean, he, I mean, he's been he's been in baseball, but I think I think where he's coming from on all this is, is that how easily Major League Baseball forgave the Astros on their whole scandal and how how much baseball – and I think he means the whole community as far as the media and the MLB offices have just completely taken away what he accomplished 
on the field, whether that was before or after um, his career was over. Um, I kind of get what he's talking about that, you know, hey, I accomplished this um, with or without steroids, and everybody was doing steroids back then. And when I was going for 73 home runs in one season, it was all this great TV and people were watching left and right. And you guys didn't say a word until, you know, viewership started to drop and then you ran an investigation and everything. And that has a whole controversy in itself. Well, yeah. And the Astros get off scot-free. I mean, I, I don't know. Just baseball has just been very odd and peculiar when it comes to punishing um, certain things and not other things be, because I think the the biggest example would be Pete Rose of all of this where you know this is a yeah. guy who you know was arguably one of the best baseball players of all time arguably one of the best hitters of all time and he is essentially barred from the game where it, he's just not allowed in the Hall of Fame where he could basically be in the media of of like through Fox sports or like any other networks and be associated with the game. Um, but yeah, it's just M- the MLB has always been, um, let's just say not good at punishing certain crimes. Yeah. The one thing though, that I, that I put different from Barry Bonds and Pete Rose is Pete Rose, Pete Rose violated a rule that is literally on the wall of every clubhouse. So like, just don't gamble on the game. Like, you, like, that is just something you can't do. It takes every part of integrity of him managing a game that you could possibly do. Like, you just can't do that. And um, as far as, like, the steroids thing with Barry Bonds, though, like, to to his point, though, everybody was doing it. Whether he did it or whether he did it or he allegedly did not do it, you know, that that's the thing is, with the whole steroids thing, nobody was complaining when these guys were doing it. And once things started to go south for Major League Baseball, the first thing they pointed the finger to was steroids. I'll always be a proponent that uh, the steroid era helped save baseball. Therefore, Absolutely. I, don't fault, I don't fault any single one of those guys, especially when it wasn't illegal back at the time. And I will say from a viewership perspective, it was helpful fun to watch. I thoroughly enjoyed watching those mashing contests. And, you know, obviously Bond's chasing the record. So you'll never hear me speak bad about steroids. So I mean, at least I, that era. I still remember when Bonds was closing in on 756 and being the, you know, like gullible fan that I was thinking that, you know, he has a chance to hit it in Pittsburgh. Like, I want to go to that game and, like, surround myself there and try to get this ball. Like, the, you find a way to get people into the stadium or watching the game. I still even remember his 600th home run. I, th- I believe I was visiting my grandpa, and the, whatever I had on TV switched over to that broadcast just to see him hit number 600. I mean, it, it, it was just moments like that where you, the, like baseball has that anticipation where and that suspense where you might be able to see the action here between the first pitch of the at-bat and the last pitch of the at-bat. Until then, it's just a story waiting to unfold. Yeah, I, and to go off what you said, Dave, I remember when he uh, he hit 756, I actually had a broken leg that summer, and when he hit it, I was on like the first week of 
of pain medicine and stuff. So like my sleep schedule was weird that I couldn't get like fully comfortable when I was sleeping. And so I was sleeping on the couch that week and I came out of like a, a sleep at like 11 o'clock at night and ESPN had switched over and he had like, as soon as I like woke up, he, it's when he hit 7:56, and um, like you said, you're kind of kind of like mystified by how awesome of a moment that is. And um, I've always gone on the on the theory of you can take all the steroids you want, but if you can't get the bat around on on a 95 mile an hour fastball, the steroids aren't really helping you, are they? Not at all, especially if you swing at pitches in the other batter's box, too. Yeah, or you don't know a curveball's coming like Carlos Correa. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I, I, I 100% agree, and I think, uh, you know, those kind of moments transcended the game and made, you know, even not baseball fans wanted to tune in just for the sake of seeing history. Um, and, you know, I think that'll always be good for any sport. So, uh, naturally, back in my day, sounds so old. It made uh, baseball really fun to watch, and I'll never fault them for that. How old are you again, Zach? I'm 26. All right, you're 27 later this month. I'm two years older than you, and you just told me that back in your day when baseball was fun. (laughs) (laughs) That makes no sense. (laughs) You want to try again, Zach? All right, baseball was more fun back then than it is today. How's that? There you go. There you go. (laughs) I think that's a little bit better. Um, <laughs> you got anything else? So when I so this is just one that's kind of off the beaten path, but it goes with the Barry Bonds conversation we had. Um, some somebody tweeted, I guess, a thing that from ESPN.com or something of uh, potential transactions for the NFL in the off season, and somebody <laughs> suggested that the Steelers should get Jameis Winston. For uh, as a backup quarterback, and somebody commented underneath it and said that would be the first 30 30 guy in Pittsburgh since Barry Bonds 30 touchdowns, <laughs> 30 interceptions. And I just thought that was just hilarious. Perfect way to bridge the segment. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I, so. think, I think the, I think it has now just ended here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I All think right. it has too. Um, I think before we get into our uh, MVP, let's also remember a legend that passed away recently. Uh, Henry Richard uh, died at the age of 84. Um, you know, Richard played 20 seasons with the Canadians, winning 11 Stanley Cups with them. Um, guys, you you probably have more words than me about him. What what do you have to say about this guy? Zach, you want to go first? Yeah, I I don't really have much. Just, uh, you know, I know the 11 Cups speak for themselves. And being part of the uh, historic Montreal Canadian franchises that were back in the day, he's obviously a legend that, uh, you know, will continue to stay in those rafters forever. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I have. Yeah, when when that news came by, uh, you you hear the name and you, you hear the 11 Stanley Cups and, um, obviously the three of us, we don't know a whole lot about him because he played years and years before we were alive. But, um, some of the stories you heard over the week, the weekend was, um, he, he grew up watching his brother, Maurice, the Maurice, the Rocky Richard, um, who the, the goal scoring title is named after, um, watched him play for the Canadians. And when he was younger, he didn't, 
he didn't want to say that he wanted to play for the Canadians because he felt like people would laugh at him. And, um, and eventually he ended up getting a chance with the Canadians because of his brother and his brother ended up playing five more years so they could play together. And those five years, they won a Stanley cup. So, and then immediately everybody's saying, well, you know, the only reason you won is because you played with your brother and he really helped you get those five cups. Well, he went on for another five years and won, won five more cups or six more cups. And um, he also had two different occasions where he scored the Stanley Cup winning goal. I don't have the years in front of me, but just think about that. Um, That's guys talk about Guys talk about dreaming about that when they're, they're five or six years old, of scoring the Stanley Cup winning goal in Game 7 or, or not even necessarily Game 7, just that Stanley Cup winning goal. That guy got to to experience that twice in his career. So, so um, you know, again, like Dave said, the, the hockey world lost it, a, a legend uh, from one of the, one of those great uh, Canadians uh, dynasties. And, um, you know, you just hear stories about how it was back in the day and the, the guys that have really built the game to where it is today. It's, it's, it's really sad to lose a guy like that. Oh, yeah, well, for said. sure. So, for sure. So, all right, guys, I think it is time to get in to our MVPs of the week. Zach, you've been gone for two weeks. You go first. Uh, not other than Micah Zabinajad. Five goals, especially against the Caps. I'm a fan. All right, that was quick. Sure, sweet to the point. Uh, I'm, I'm prepared for this one this week, Dave. Can I go next? Yes. <laughs> uh, so, news that came out. Um, last week, um, one of my favorite players growing up, Chipper Jones, Larry Wayne Jones, for the uh, great folks in uh, in New York that are Mets fans. Um, he signed a contract with uh, with ESPN to do about twenty games this year um, with uh, with their baseball coverage. Um, pretty excited for that because um, growing up, Chipper Jones was my favorite player. That's how I'm. At, I became an Atlanta Braves fan watching him on TBS on their afternoon games throughout the summer. And, um, you know, to, to see he's still involved with baseball, he's still involved with the Atlanta Braves a little bit, but to see him get his name out there and that he's, he's not one of those guys that kind of lives a private life. He still puts himself out there for his fans and everything. Um, I couldn't be more excited to see this guy broadcasting games and, and just hearing him talk about, talk about baseball. It's, it's something pretty exciting. So, um, uh, congrats, Chip, on the um, on the on the new gig, and I look forward to seeing you on ESPN. All right. Um, so the one that I wanted to bring up, I just wanted to get the names on here. Um, there, it's going to go to three of them. It's going to be three ladies that became the first all-female broadcast crew um, through Sportsnet and NBC when the. Uh, Golden Knights played the Calgary Flames. Uh, Leah Hextall, she had the the play by play. Cassie Campbell had the was called or Cassie Campbell Pascal was the color commentator, and Christine Simpson was working in between the boards. So uh, those those three breaking the barriers there on International Women's Day uh, this past Sunday uh, in that game, and that's going to be my my MVP of the week. Well said, well said. All right. So, you know, Zach, welcome back. We appreciated you 
having here. Hopefully you can make it back two weeks in a row. <laughs> Let me say one thing real quick before I sign off. Uh, obviously I run pens of anarchy. If you guys could please stop liking our Facebook page, if not, you know, take a few likes off for us. We had 420 likes coming in this week, blaze it. And now we're up to 426. So I'm going to, I love you guys giving us PR, but like at the same time you can follow from a distance. <laughs> <laughs> just, just kind, kind of keep. You can probably uh, um, put it in a restraining order for all this. I don't have the heart to. I just figured oh, we'll try it this week with our viewers, and then I'll go from there. That's fair. That's fair, Jeff. How how often have you seen someone say stop liking it? Well, I mean, we are trying to get as many likes as we can on this podcast, and we got a guy on our podcast telling <laughs> telling people to not like his content is just, like, mind-blowing to me. <laughs> I mean, unless I they want to make it 4,020, then, you know, I'm down, but a lot more needs to happen there. <laughs> you want it to be 4,200, not 4,020. Yeah, true, true. All right, let's, let, well, let's shoot for... 42,069 likes. How about that? That's great. I hope we can get there. Do you think uh, seven days is a realistic timetable before we reconvene? Oh, let's say 14. <laughs> I like it. I, I like that you're you're a realist. I appreciate you it. Got, you got to have a little bit of confidence in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm fine with that. All right. This has been the IC Take Show. You, you already heard the Pence Anarchy that, that Jack runs. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at ICTakes, all together one word. Uh, like us on Facebook, uh, Takes with Jeff and Big Dave. Uh, eventually we'll get Zach's name in there. It's just a matter of when we get the presentation done and the, and the announcement and all that. Um, we'll get to it, Zach, don't worry. Um, you can also follow us on the personal Twitters at Big underscore Dave 52. At Chris underscore 51. At Zach Morris 82. All right. So we will be back next week. Hopefully we didn't go off the rails too much. But if we did, we hope you enjoyed the show. But until then, stay icy. I want to do a little thing with you. I want to do.